please turn your Bibles to the first Corinthians chapter five. We in our study of this letter to the church in Corinth are in chapter five. We stepped into it two weeks ago. We return on this day. <sighs> Do I want to read all this? Yes, let's read this 13 verses. Our focus this Lord's Day will be the end of verse 2 through verse 5. Um, but uh, this is a powerful text. It is an urgent text. This text may have greater focus on the church in America today than at any time in history. Uh, and so I pray that we are all sensitive to what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is saying. And, uh, hey, Dane, how, long, how big a CDs can we get? And that's it? Well, for you, Eddie, <laughs> I can't make your voice a little better. Not that fine. They'll think the chipmunks are preaching. All right. I have a lot of ground to cover. I better talk fast. Let's read the text and ask the Lord to teach us. It is actually reported among you, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. And you have become arrogant. And you have not mourned instead. So that the one of you who does this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged him. Who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven, so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean... I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or the idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But I actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is immoral or covetous or an idolater, a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, do not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Father, I ask that uh, you use your word this day in the power of your spirit and the hearts of your people 
that we may understand, that we may see the holiness and the glory of the risen King. And yet, Father, that we understand that His testimony is shining forth from Your body, Your bride, Your church. Father, these are serious words. But yet, Father, I have not seen any of Your text that is not serious. And yet, Father, I ask today that we who gather today, we who are assembled today, will bow before Your Word. We will bow to what it is You have said. Father, we will understand it is the words of He who spoke existence into being. Your counsel is true. Your counsel is perfect. And Father, I rejoice that Your counsel restores the soul. Thank You, my King. In Christ's name, Amen. Our society is very much comparable to the Corinthian society. Um, probably the Corinthian society would be a little worse than us. Uh, but I don't believe to much degree. I was very, very troubled at some of the federal court rulings that came down this week um, in, in our country. Um, yes, I can look at it from a, 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 a representative republic and say that the three branches of our government are supposed to offset each other. But it would seem to me that the judicial branch has now become a legislative branch. Uh, and the one uh, banning or putting a restraining order on the law that was passed on partial birth abortion uh, is the one that a lot of people have focused on. That's not the one that shook me the most. The one that shook me the most came out of Denver. General uh, Denver Court has ruled in a relationship between two lesbian women uh, who one had adopted a child uh, and they had divorced or separated or whatever they do because the one had become a born-again believer. And the judge ruled that they would have joint custody and that the one who had the child the most, the Christian, was not allowed to give any kind of counsel uh, in derogatory as hate speech or homophobic. Okay, And what you have there is a judicial system that is telling a parent, this is how you will raise your kid. And if Christ is involved, um, you can't do it. Okay? So when I read this text, and then I deal with my dealings with the church and other churches and other church leaders, um, this speaks volumes at the age that we are in. And yet, I believe the biggest responsibility this day lies in our lap. The church has not done what she was called to do. The church was called to be a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ until His return. It is not a social gathering. It is not a time of let's play. It's not a time of expanding my businesses. It's not a time of... of, uh, Let's have buddy-buddy things. It is a time for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And the only way that ever accomplishes anything, it can be done, is when each and every single Christian understands that the single priority of your life is your personal holiness. It's the only way it happens. 
And yet today in the body of Christ, um, (sighs) anyway, one of the securities that a child of God has against sin is that the sin should shock us. Okay? And I would say, without argument, it would be very difficult in this day and age to have a sin shock us. Um, besides what Hollywood does, the news does, what print does, um, we are inundated with sin to the point that it is promoted. Uh, it has its own agenda. Uh, and uh, anybody who would stand up and say that I believe that that is uh, uh, difficult um, is a phobic of some type. Instead of calling a sin a sin, um, we call it everything else. Uh, we, 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 have a man, we manage to, to, to dress it up so it's not as bad as what it used to be. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a terrible time. But I want to look at this because this text, if you just take chapter 5, uh, I guarantee you uh, would offend the bulk of Christendom. Okay, Which is bizarre because 6 and 7 is going to do more than that. All right, but you need to understand that it's coming out of verse 4 or chapter 4 because he's coming out of chapter 4 with the picture of a pastor's heart. All right, now I want to take it a little bigger than that because it needs to be taken out of a spiritual parent's heart. A spiritual parent is the person or persons who have led every single one of you to Christ. Every single one of you has a spiritual parent. Right? I don't care who you are. Somebody has directed your path. I know who saved you. I know all the theology that is behind you. But somewhere there was a human agent that God empowered to point you to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay? The tragedy that exists is too many spiritual parents give birth and then tell the child to raise itself. And there ain't a parent in this building. Who's ever done that? Give birth to a child and say, go, be prosperous. And I believe that part of that is the mentality in the church in America is, is uh, we call it evangelism. All right? And yet, um, the Bible does not teach us to make converts. The Bible teaches us to do what? Make disciples, to make learners. Therefore, As I have a spiritual parent or parents who disciple me, I in turn disciple others who will in turn disciple others. All right? Here's the problem that exists with that. And I believe that this is the problem with us today who are gathered here. Okay? And I'm not trying to be testy or... Uh, persnickety. Do anybody know what that word means? I think my grandma used it once, and I always stuck with me. I thought, persnickety, that sounds good, but probably not something you want. Um, To make disciples, you have to be involved in other people's lives. Okay? And it's it's not a cursory glancing thing. It is involved. And listen, it's got to do more with when your anniversary is or when your birthday is or when your spiritual birthday is. All right? You can stop 
what happens in chapter 5, 6, and 7 if you're involved with people. Because when you see full-blown sin, all right, the act of sin, you need to understand it just didn't happen one morning. And poof, there it was. There was a process that set up. It's called lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You can be involved with people, and as I'm involved with people, I can watch their pride of life, the lust of their eyes, and the lust of their flesh. And I can gently, being involved with that person, saying, I don't think that's the right way you need to go here. But if it comes out, boom, there it is. Then it is abrasive, it seems arrogant to deal with a person's sin up front. And I've got to be honest with you, I love you guys, but some of you are very difficult to get close to. And I'll show you why. Because this text is powerful. And, and I want you to understand something. When he makes the statement, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you had really better pay attention. Because he's not asking you to do anything. He's saying, this is what Christ wants. Right? Have you ever heard that where we, we pray? Right? And, and we pray and we, at the end of it, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember hearing a preacher say, if you don't put that on the end of your prayer, it's like sending a letter without a stamp. Okay? So I got into the habit of putting on there because I've had my mail returned. Uh, some of my prayers, too. But, and I put that on there, and I said, well, when, I, when it returns a prayer, then I didn't put enough postage. Okay? But that's not what that means. When you put the name of Christ, when you put His name, you're saying all that He is. All right? So if I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am praying this is specifically what the Lord Jesus Christ wants. Sure does make our prayers get small, don't they? Did mine. I don't know about you, but mine got real small because I couldn't be that specific. I could say, I don't know what you want here. And he'd say, yeah, I know. Okay? Here's what happens. The Apostle Paul is dealing with a church that he's been the founder of. He has gone in this place. He has proclaimed the Lord. A, a church has been birthed. You need to understand this. This is not a, a, a false religion. This is a body of believers. And he made this statement last two weeks ago when we were together that it's actually reported present tense. All right? It's universally known. Okay? It's common knowledge of the church in Corinth. If you were going to identify the first church of Corinth, the common characteristic of the first church in Corinth was this, that there's immorality among you. Okay? The lost and the saved... The common understanding of the church in Corinth is that you're immoral. All right? Now, what does that mean? Some of your translations may say fornication. What does that mean? Simple. It's porneia. It's the word we get pornography from. Okay? It's any sex outside of marriage. All right? I don't want to get any more specific than that. Any sex outside of marriage. All right? And it's common knowledge in the church in Corinth that there was a lot of that going on. Alright? In chapter 5, verse 22, the Apostle Paul tells a young man, Timothy, Keep yourself pure. 
Keep yourself away from immorality. He even says, flee it. Flee useful lust. We have missed this in our society today. Uh, In the church in Thessalonica, uh, an amazing church. If you ever want to see a study on a God-glorifying body of believers, the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians will just blow your socks off. But in chapter 4, he says this, um, Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that as you have received from us instruction on how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. Now, if you read the first three chapters, you're sitting there going, you don't need to excel more. I mean, you guys are borderline walking on water now. All right? But then he makes this statement. I want you to excel still more. How? How do you want me to excel still more? If you're gathered together, we are gathered together today as a body of believers, and God would say, I want you to excel still more, every one of us would say, how? How? How can I excel still more? That I may please you. For you know the commandments that we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, for this is the will of God. Anybody ever ask that question? I just don't understand the will of God. Get you one of them books or them computer programs and type in will of God. And it'll give you all the verses that says this is the will of God. It's really not that complicated. What is the will of God? Your sanctification. You know what that is? Your holiness. Your purity. Your difference than the world. What is that? What would it be to be different than the world? It's easy. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from sexual immorality. See, let me share with you something. Since the fall, since the fall, please, it goes back a little ways. All right? The lost, those who do not know God, those who do not believe in God, those who do not give thanks to God, those who do not acknowledge God, all right, has never perceived sex as something sacred. It's never been perceived that way. No time, no society, no civilization without the knowledge of God has ever... Go look. It's not there. Sex is not considered sacred if God isn't there. The the community that Corinth existed in is an example. The community that Thessalonica existed in is an example. I have seen some archaeological findings there that would disturb you. And it was considered art and it was put on the walls of homes. And yet you would classify it as, what is it? X, is there X-rated anymore? I don't know if there is X-rated anymore. Okay, R, whatever it is now, NCRX, whatever. You would see this and you'd say, but it would be on, the, on your home. It's not on an office. It's on your home. That is the community that the churches exist in. You know what? That is the community that this church exists in. The world, the lost, the people who do not know God, 
never considered sex sacred. All right? And yet, there's a mandate that the church must. And that's what we looked at two weeks ago. The need for discipline. It has to be done. See, if we don't understand the need for it, how do you do it? How do you do it? And I don't want to get back into that intensely because <coughs> I want to sell some CDs. No. Just get the, the tape or the CD or whatever. Why? Because the need for discipline comes from that relationship, that involvement in one another's lives. See, you can stop this if you're involved in somebody's life because you stop it before it ever bears fruit and sprouts. You're there to keep it away. You know, I was sharing with somebody, I believe it was last night, that the body of Christ, Christians, for me, okay, and you know, are like guardrails. Okay, have you ever kind of, look, look, that's pretty, and your car kind of drifts over someplace and you have to do something real quick? That's what Christians do for me. You know, every once in a while I'll get to daydreaming and I'll kind of look over there and all of a sudden I find myself bumping into something and there's a Christian saying, I don't think you need to go there. And so I come back. Why is it in the body of Christ today in America no one wants to be around church? Why is it that Christians in America today prefer to drive without the guardrails? Why is it that we don't want the accountability? Do we really believe that we're capable of doing this by ourselves? Many do. And yet, if you come and get involved with somebody's life and all of a sudden you find something that you need to deal with, what's the response you normally get? But out. You're acting like a Pharisee. This text says that there was a young man in this church, present tense, had a continual immoral relationship. Pornographic relationship. Not only that, he had caused a divorce. Okay? The term adultery is not used. If he was with this woman, his father's wife, and they were still married then it would be adulterous, an ongoing adulterous affair. That's not the term that is used. He uses an immoral or fornicating affair. So there has been a divorce. Okay? Though the divorce is secular. How do I know that? Because the woman is not being chastened by the church. The man is. So not only has he has an ongoing immoral affair, he has caused a divorce, but he's also now involved with an unbeliever. And I'll deal with that in chapter 7. Alright? So there's three things that this young man has done. And yet, the church is boasting about it. This is a church that boasted on who their teachers were. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. This is a church that boasted about their spiritual giftedness. This is a church that boasted about what God is doing in their presence. How God has come and is alive and well in Corinth. And they have this going on. And it says the word there, arrogant, in verse 2. And that's that frog thing again. Where a bullfrog swells up before it makes that croak noise and all it is is a bunch of air that's what boasting is let me boast to you let me croak like a frog and tell you what is going on and yet this problem existed 
in the Apostle Paul. And I, this may be the most, I can't imagine Paul using this kind of words. He says, your boasting is not good. That's why the first letter that was truly written to the Corinthians, we don't have. <laughs> I bet that's a dandy. Okay? There was one written after 1 Corinthians, between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We don't have that one either. I'd like to get my hands on that one too. Okay, but those are not God-breathed letters, and that's probably why I'd like to see them. I bet this is a good one. Okay? In this church, this existed in such a way that when there should have been mourning, there wasn't any mourning. The word mourn there that you see in chapter uh, uh, 1, is that right? Chapter, no. Chapter 5, verse 2. You have it mourned. That word mourn means... Um, the death of a loved one. That weeping, that overpowering grief at the finality of that relationship. He says, you should be doing that and you're not. Okay, so we need to discipline. We need to see the need for discipline. Uh, and yet, in the church in America today, uh, we cease to be shocked by sin. We see, I, I remember talking to a pastor and he made this statement to me. And I was shocked. I was literally shocked when he made this statement. He's never seen an R-rated movie. So you've never been to a movie. Right? I, you've never watched television. Because some of the stuff I see on television is shocking. Okay? How, how did you go? What, what cave were you in? You, you didn't have electricity. All right? But he hasn't seen it. And here's the advantage that he had. This church, remember we've looked at the divisions that was in the church? And it was because they were bringing philosophy and trying to mix it with God? Let me, let me share something with you. Every one of you. Every single one of you have philosophy. Did you know that? You, we are all, every one of you have a different background of you were brought up, you were raised by your parents. In that time, you were given philosophies. You were given wisdom for how to deal with certain things, how to plan ahead or how to plan behind or whatever it is, but you bring those with you. They are part of your makeup. Okay? I grew up with the 60s, 70s mentality of philosophy. Okay? Um, and, and I hate to say this, but I'll be honest with you because some of you won't be honest, but I'll be honest. I grew up in an age which would make a liberal Democrat today look conservative. That was my philosophy. Alright? In John 15, it says that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And there's something happens to them branches so that they bear much fruit. What happens? Prunes. Okay, that's not them things you eat. Okay? It's them things you cut. Right? My Lord, my God, bless his heart. Got out his lightweight McCullough chainsaw and pruned my philosophy. Uh, and sometimes he did it in very drastic and radical ways. Too many in the body of Christ today are afraid to allow that to happen. 
We read the Bible, we study the Bible, we exegete the Bible, we get our little Greek things going and all the rest of it, but you will not bow to the Bible. You have information. You don't have transformation. That's what was happening in the church in Corinth. They were taking what the society that they lived in And they were bringing their thinking processes into the church. And what they wanted to do was to add Jesus to their life. What does that look like in the church in America? It's the same thing. You know, I had somebody, I remember one some time ago, a a young man asked me, he says, well, what do you feel about a a Christian and, and, and how... With the environment, you know, global warming and save the tree and the whale and the frog and, and all that. How, how do you bring the two together and make them work well? I said, I don't. He said, well, why not? I said, you ought to see what Jesus is going to do to it. Okay? I, that's not a concern of mine. I don't, I mean, and I'm not trying to be, let's throw all of our litter out the windows and set forest fires. But what I'm saying is, what? Save the tree? Wait till the 100 pound hailstones start hitting. Okay? I mean, you're going to be thinking, save the tree. I don't see what I mean. No, it don't fit. It's not in my book. All right, and it's stuff like that that people are trying to bring this philosophy and understand. Follow Phileo Sophia. Sophia was the person of Dame Wisdom. That's the goddess, all right, of Mother Earth. And I have a love for her. That's philosophy. How do I make that fit with Christianity? You know, I, I see bad weather. I remember a guy, uh, Reggie McDaniel. I don't know if you guys know Reggie McDaniel on the, on the radio. I, I remember one time he says, and the weather is brought to you by God. <laughs> and I thought, are you allowed to say that? And he was talking about there was some place there was a flood going on, and he was talking about the, the weather person was saying the weather. And he said, you know what? If they'd quit calling God a mother nature... He'd probably quit doing some of this. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there may be some theology there. All right? But that's bringing that stuff in. Now, let me ask you something. If you grew up in the 60s and 70s, ask yourself what immorality was. There was none for me. And I agree that most of you who grew up in that time frame would agree. There wasn't any. Why? If it feels good for you and it ain't hurting anybody else, then what? Do it. You're not hurting anybody. Okay? And so you did it. And so what was the standard? Well, whatever I felt like. But here's what happens. And the writer of Hebrews says that the Lord chastens those He loves. Right? Anybody here been convicted by the Holy Spirit? He can be a pest, can he? He doesn't sleep. He never goes on vacation. He, can you take a break? Uh, have anybody here had him convict you while you were asleep? Anybody hear that? I told somebody, I don't dream. Why? Because the Holy Spirit bugs me every time I dream, so I don't dream. 
Okay, and it, well, I think you drink. Well, I don't care. <laughs> Me and the Holy Spirit get in these wrestling things, and I, don't, I always lose. So, but do you know that there are some severer cases of conviction than the Holy Spirit? Part of that is the method of discipline. And, and I believe that this is uh, pretty bizarre in, in our life today. Uh, there are some times that God uses the body of Christ as the agent for correction. Please understand the words that I just said. I'm not talking about a Christian. I'm talking about He uses the body of Christ to correct, uh, to, use, to use the politically correct, to convict. Okay? Um, We, we need to see this, but you need to understand. Do you understand that there is a need for discipline? There comes a time when there's a need for discipline. All right? And I'll be honest with you. There is nothing more serious in your life than this text that sets before us. How does this method work? The Apostle Paul says, <clears throat> verse 3, I'm not there. That's what he says. He he doesn't say it quite that blunt. He says it, For I, on my part, though absent in the body, okay, I'm not there. I am present in the spirit, the inner man. Okay? What it is, if you really look at it in the original language, it's almost a derogatory, a sarcastic statement. If I was going to say it, I would say, I'm not there and this ain't rocket science. Okay? He says, I'm not there but in the spirit. Okay, where I'm at right now, I've removed him from you. He says, this isn't complicated. This isn't something that you have. Well, I think we need to pray about it. No, you don't have to pray about this. This doesn't take theological understanding. You have practicing immorality in your church by a person that you know. It's not hidden because everybody knows. Not only that, your church's testimony is that. So he's saying, it's present tense. You're there and you haven't done anything. In that present tense, he says, even away, I have heard this because of the common knowledge and I've already dealt with it. You're not mourning, you're boasting. You're boasting. Everybody knows. And you're boasting. This is your reputation and your boasting. And he says, I've already made my decision. What is stopping you? Okay? What is stopping you? So that's how he starts it out. All right? And then what must be done? What must be done? Listen, does anybody here like conflict, confrontation? You know, getting in people's face? You know, I've never really met anybody who likes it. And, and yet, there are times when we have to do it as children of God. Look what he says in verse 4. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled. Okay? That's the word that you and I get synagogue from. When you have synagogue. When you have gathered together as what? The representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So you see, this isn't the elders have gone into the quiet room. This isn't a hierarchy. This isn't taking it to the Anglicans who are in England. 
This is the local body's autonomy. And their authority is based on the leadership that God has instilled in that church. But I, I don't want you to get the wrong idea about that. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Okay, that's your elders. That's the leadership of the body of Christ. The local body of elders who are oversight of the body of believers that have gathered together. And their authority and their instruction is very narrow. It is solely based on written word. It can't be based on a philosophy. It can't be based on outside aberrant anything. It is not based on feeling. It cannot be based on emotion. It is based solely on what does the Lord say. Okay? And it says, in that body, you follow that leadership because you have gathered together. And Paul says, I'll come. But if I can't, I'll agree in spirit with the leadership because of what has happened. All right? But he also makes another statement. Uh, He also says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit. He said, I wish I could be there. I'd deal with this. And with the power of our Lord Jesus. You see that? The Lord Jesus Christ is there also. But when you gather together, you will do it in His name. You will do it in His power. And what will you do? What will you do in this mass of power? This power that spoke existence into being. What should you do? Deliver such a one to Satan. Whoa. That's shocking, by. You're going to take a saint of God and deliver him to Satan. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? That's what Jesus wants. Jesus said, such a one, deliver him to Satan. He's there. Christ is there. He's in the body when we come together. He says, put him out. Let me ask you a question. I was pondering this. Okay? What do you think would happen when the Lord came to church in Corinth? I mean, he just walked in one day. What do you think he'd do? By this text, I know where he'd go first. Right? Why? This is the will of the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you a question, because I was thinking about this. You know, he comes walking in. Surprise! How are you doing? Okay? And we would look at this and we would say that a man has stolen his, his father's wife and he's in a, a continual sexual relationship with it. It doesn't take rocket scientists like none of us are. Well, maybe somebody is, but I'm not. To say, well, you know, that guy's in hmm, bad shape, right? Some of you agree, some of you... All right, we would all agree. Let me ask you this. What would he do if he walked into here? It's a little bit different picture, isn't it? What's Jesus going to say if he comes here? If he came here, whose home would he want to visit first?
Did you ever think about that? I did. I sat and pondered that. It scared me. I'm thinking, teach something else, Terry. You know, move to Genesis. I don't know. Philemon. Philemon's, you know, that's an easy book. We teach Philemon. Revelations is easier than teaching this. What are you going to do if Jesus comes to your house right now? Let me tell you something. When you go home today, he's there right now. He is in his church. And you know what? If you pay attention, you'll see him in the godly men and women who are leading the way. If you pay attention. But see, if you want to do it your way, you'll never see it. Why? You're not involved. When you come together, my spirit and my power of the Lord will be there and we'll deal with this. See, so there's authority. It's His authority. Okay, but it's His presence. It's His power. Turn with me to Matthew 18. One of the most butchered texts of Scripture. Verse 15 deals with this very thing. This is the Lord. If you've got a red letter Bible, then you know this is holy, holy writing now. Matthew 18, verse 15. I'm not going to deal with this in depth. Okay? This is the process of dealing with this. All right? If a brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. See what I mean? How do I do that? Well, I knew it. I'm involved with your life in such a way that I confronted it and caught it before it became this full-blown issue. And guess what? I have won the brother. But see, if you guys all decide that you just want to come and go as you please, I'm not going to get to see you and deal with you until it becomes a full-blown nasty something. You know what? And I don't like to do that. I've had to do that in this church, and, and, that, and it's, it grieves my heart to do that. And yet I was involved in some people that before they stepped into sexual immorality, I went and got them out of places that they shouldn't have been. And I've done that. And people say, well, you, yes, And I remember looking at one person one time and said, you know what? You are a wolf stealing one of God's sheep. Prepare yourself. And there are some things that happened that you will see that he didn't prepare himself. Okay? But we need to look at this because I want you to look at verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have... You read that? This is New American Standard. is a phenomenal translation of this. Shall have been. You get that? You know what that means? You're catching up with what heaven's already done. Alright? What you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. That's two sides of justice. If you take somebody... Remember, a lot of people are getting into laying on the hands... Laying hands on them. Okay, if you really do a word search of that, you'll understand that that's not really a good thing. Okay, they laid hands on Stephen and took him out and stoned him. Okay, they laid hands on Paul and John and they threw him in the prison. Some, you know, people say, when you lay hands on, oh, you want me to arrest you? But anyway, you have justice. If I lay hands on you, I shall bind you. Or, if you're innocent... I can loose you. Loose you. So you have the two sides of justice. You have guilty and you bind them. Have you ever watched people who are in sin? They're in bondage to that sin. They have forfeited the freedom of Christ to be bound in a sin. 
that they believe will fulfill them, and there's never been a sin that fulfills. It just escalates. So they bind themselves up. Okay? In the, in the discipline process of the church, when we come together, whatever you have, you know, understanding that Jesus is in the midst of it, His power is in the midst of it, all you're going to do is align with what has been proclaimed in heaven. Now, I've heard this taught, to bind means Satan, and to loose is the Holy Spirit. Okay? I've written down here a great, great word of wisdom on that understanding, and it is goofy. Goofy. Satan's name ain't in there, nor is the Holy Spirit. And the context has absolutely nothing with binding Satan or loosening the Holy Spirit. Okay? Whatever your decision of justice is in the church, it has already been agreed upon where? Where? We're not sure? Heaven. Amen. Do you understand what you just said? The action you took place here on earth has the backing of who? Heaven. The angelic host, the triune God, the power that keeps existence into existence says, I amen unto you, my bride. Not only that, you're playing catch up. Because heaven has already seen the problem. And we become the vehicle that it is dealt with. When the church acts in discipline, heaven acts in support of the church. You got that? You ever heard that Lord's Prayer thing? Our Father, who art in heaven, holy be thy name, thy kingdom come. What? Where? Gives you a whole different picture now, doesn't it? When the church is in a disciplining of a saint, thy will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, I want you to read on because I, I want you to make sure that you understand this. Listen, <clears throat> the Lord understands feelings and friendships. Okay, he was betrayed by a friend. And he wept, which shows me that he had tremendous, mind-boggling feelings. Look at verse 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them. Okay? Now, this is not a prayer meeting. This is not a Bible study. Let me explain something to you about prayer. Okay? If you're the only one left and you're in prayer, he's with you. All right? I, mean, I hate to break the news. It doesn't take two to make prayer work. Okay? One can make prayer work. All right? So I just want to... This isn't a prayer meeting. What is it? It's God's standard of justice. How many witnesses? Two minimum. Two minimum. And they are what? In agreement. In agreement. And he asks anything in my name and it is done. Okay? So you get two people, two saints of God, draw together before the throne of God. They're in agreement of the Word of God. The power of God is there. Heaven is in agreement. It is behind them 100%. And it shall be done. Shall be done. Which means go and do it. In my name. In my name. 
Do you understand what a promise that is? Do we grasp that? You ever seen them little books that's God's little promises? That one you won't find. Why? Because what are you doing? You're confronting sin in the body of Christ. We don't want to do that. When the church comes together for discipline, Christ is in its midst. Not only that, you will see that He is glorified beyond any of your understandings or my understanding. And it's not talking about these what people like to do, you know, uh, if two are gathered together in my name in your prayer, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with praying together, but he is no more, no less there if you're praying by yourself or if there's two of you. It, if you put five together, he, it's not like he's bigger and his power is better now. Uh, one can do it as well as 100,000. Um, when we discipline, Christ acts right from the midst from the convictions of the Holy Spirit. When the church gathers, they have the Apostle Paul, the apostolic support of the Apostle Paul. When the church acts, it has the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have His authority when the church acts in the acts of discipline. Now then, I want to go back to it and wrap this as quick as I can. Oh, plenty of time. All right. The Apostle Paul has set it out and said, here's the deal. Set them out. Okay, what happens? What happens? You deliver them to Satan. You deliver them to Satan. Okay, now we all understand, right, that Satan is not omnipresent. You know what that means? He's not everywhere at once. God's everywhere at once. Satan's not. Satan is in, in Cleveland. He was. I've been to Cleveland. Okay? Wherever Satan is, that's where he's at. So how in the heck do I deliver him to Satan? I know. Go find a cult. And take the saint and give him to the cult. A seance. Seance got to be of Satan. How do I do that? Where is he? Where do we go find him? The Lord Jesus Christ calls him what? The prince of, of this world. You put them out of church, where do they go? To the world. Okay, what, you're, what is being said here is you don't have to go look for a cult. You don't have to go look for some Satan worshipers. You don't have to go look for anything like that. You don't have to go find a seance or anything. You put them out in the world. They forfeit the right to fellowship with the believers of God. Okay? The partnership, the koinonia. Okay? If, here's what Spurgeon said about this. This is amazing. Uh, I understand why they call him the prince of preachers. If they putrefy the fellowship, put them out. And you guys think I beat around the bush. All right? They're no longer permitted to attend. Did you know that? You can't come in. You're not permitted. You're no longer permitted to fellowship in any way. You are out. You are in Satan's domain. You are in Satan's rule. You know what's tragic about that? Most saints don't care. It's a non-issue. Most saints seem to prefer it. I would rather not be in the body of Christ. Why? I've got tickets to the Broncos. 
reason. Why don't we want the fellowship of the saints? Do you know we have to spend eternity with each other? You better be getting used to us. The prince of the world, the God of this age, runs the world system. All of it. He isn't in the the upside down pentagrams and goat heads. Those people embarrass him. He is humanistic. That is his religion. I can, I will, I shall. What does America do? I can, I will, I shall. And the saints of God, some saints of God, prefer that system. Question that comes to me at times on this, is he a Christian? Absolutely. Then why in the world would you do this? I thought we wanted to get people in the doors. The Lord says do it. That's why. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, I with you in the spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver one to Satan. That word there, I have decided, is not in the original manuscripts. All right, He didn't have to make that decision is basically what is being said. In uh, <clears throat> another text that deals with this, and was written a, written a little later, but I do want to share it with you. Out of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 starts, is the context of it. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. Okay, keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwrecked in regard to their faith. Among these, right, these who have no good conscience and have shipwrecked of faith are Harmonies and Harmony, whatever, Hymenes and Alexander, whom I have what? Handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. I handed them over to Satan. Why? They're not going to learn. So Satan will teach them. They will. I will break these men <clears throat> of blaspheming God. Paul has done this. He had put them out of the church. This is the ultimate act of discipline. For the purity of the church, what do you do? You put them out. You put them out. Why? He says here, back to our text, for the destruction of the flesh. Okay? The spirit is the inner man. The flesh is the external body. You put them outside of the body of Christ. You put them outside of the safety, the sanctity of the body of Christ so that their flesh now becomes vulnerable to the prince of this age. Now, let me ask you this question. Okay, now, I understand this is not discipline, but you do see how this process can work. In Job chapter 2, okay, now, Job was not under discipline, all right? But in Job chapter 2, What did Satan do to Job? Ooh, boils, sores, all right? But he couldn't touch his soul, all right? How did it afflict Job? Painful. He couldn't, could he do anything to Job's soul? No, he couldn't even take his life. He says, you can make him sicker than a dog. Don't take his life. 
You can't touch his soul. You can't lay a hand on Job's spirit. You can touch Job, but you can't touch the inner man. And let me tell you something. Job got sick. Job was a hurting unit. All right? When a saint is disciplined in agreement to what heaven has said, Christ in the midst, in the power of God, they are set outside. Guess what happens? They become afflicted. And Satan will be given the right on the judicial act of God to afflict them physically. Okay? But for a Christian, there's nothing to fear. You can't take your spirit. Look what he says. So the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That day of the Lord is a nasty time. Okay? But at that time, that person would stand redeemed. They're going to be embarrassed. Let me tell you something. This boy here is embarrassed anyway because they got this letter from Paul. And guess what they did with it? They read it out loud. They all gathered together and they're cranking along. And I think Paul's a little mad at us. Then they get to this part. It's actually reported among you that one of you is in immorality and you got your father's wife. And I'm probably, everybody's going. Right? Now, I don't know about you, but that would be afflicting to me. Right? I mean, wouldn't that cause some pain and anguish? Oh, you bet you... Well, maybe it wouldn't. But me, I'm like, find the door. Can I crawl and get out the bugger before we get farther into letter? You set them outside so that their flesh... Why? So that their spirit may be saved. Why? If you set a saint outside and they don't care, you just remove terror. You know that? Did you see hear what I just said? They don't care that they've been separated from the fellowship of the communion of the saints. You just removed a weed. All right? If they care through the travails of the world will press upon them, they'll come back. They'll come back. You know, Satan's going to mess them up, but he can't touch their souls. Remember Paul had a thorn in his flesh? Do you remember that? And he prayed three times. What was that thorn in the flesh? No, it wasn't his wife. I've heard people try to... It's his wife. Okay. He tells you what it was. What was it? Messenger of Satan. Why? Why did he have a messenger of Satan? That my grace is sufficient. This is old boy went to third heaven. Let me tell you something. You go to third heaven and then come back down here and know you've got a message for people? Tell me your pride ain't going to get in the way. Do you believe that? Anybody here believe that if God took you, whether body or by spirit, to third heaven, when you came back, you wouldn't be puffed up like a peacock? Guess where I've been. Yeah, we like this. I seen a bumper sticker the other day. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. I went around park somewhere else, just in case. Uh, well, that's but if you came back, if you go to third heaven, know this: you will get a thorn in your flesh, who will be a messenger from Satan, so that you will understand 
By His grace, you are sufficient. Okay? So if you get to go there, get ready. Alright? In the book of James, he says, if you, are, if, if you have sickness, what are you supposed to do? Confess your sins. Why? Perhaps your sickness is self-inflicted. Perhaps you're under discipline. Physical illness can be God's rod of chastening. Now listen, don't take this thing and run out and say that everybody who's got the common cold or gets diagnosed with this or diagnosed... Oh, I'm just... Because now you're going to start acting like Job's buddies. Okay? That's not what the text is saying. He's saying that a non-repentant saint needs to be disciplined outside of the body and that Satan will be God's rod to do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, they were abusing the Lord's table, right? And, and they were making a mockery of it. It became a party and the love feast. They were messing with idols and all kinds of stuff. And he says, what happened to some of them? They were sick and some had... Falling asleep. You know, just like a Baptist church. Some fall asleep. No, that's not what it means. Some were dying. Why? You're dishonoring that that is sacred. Okay? Pain, physical anguish, emotional pain, heartache, death, Ananias and Sapphira. They just fell over dead. Okay? Can be a result of Satan. Okay? When God allows Satan to be the rod of his discipline, you turn him over so his flesh will be destroyed. Okay? Why? So his spirit will be redeemed. So you'll separate the two. If the person goes off and they're in anguish and in pain and in suffering, it will drive them to what? Repentance. And they will come back. All right? If they go off and tell you that you're a Pharisee or you're this or you're that, then what did you do? You removed an impure root that was in the body of Christ anyway. Okay, now understand something. This is not to wipe out a person. This is not to ruin a person. Remember the two guys, Harmanius and Alexander? Okay, why? Learn not to blaspheme. It is to teach them. It is to teach them the seriousness of of their representation of Christ. Okay? Now then, I want to kind of conclude this because this is a a hard text. This person, what happened to him? Well, let me tell you something. I know for a fact that he suffered some pain and some anguish. Okay? Uh, Like I shared, just the reading of this letter in front of the congregation would have caused some pain and some anguish. Okay? But you know what's so cool about this? He's in heaven. He's in heaven. Alright? Because you don't do this to lost people. You do this to save people. I would like to think that he didn't die. I would like to think that he was straightened out. I would like to think that the love of the fellowship drew him back to where he needed to be. That's why in this community we have so many churches. If a person gets mad or is under some disciplinary action from this fellowship and goes to another fellowship and I find out, I will contact the leadership. Okay, now whether the leadership does anything about it or not, it's not my responsibility. But I will tell you that that person was in non-repentant sin. I'm not going to get specific, but I will say that person was non-repentant sin when they left our church. Okay? Why? I'm supposed to. That's my mandate. 
Okay? What happened to this old boy? I like to be sometimes an optimist. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> but if, he caught, if any has caused sorrow, and he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you, sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority. You understand what that just said? One individual, the assembly punished. Okay? So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excess of sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end, also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. I myself believe that the man of chapter 5 is the same man of chapter 2, 2 Corinthians. Here's why. Non-repentant sin was named Harmanius and Alexander for all the ages. They didn't repent. They were put out. Okay? And repentance, what comes? Forgiveness, which means the name's not public. I don't need to share in your scandal. All you need to know, saints of God, is that he was in this horrible situation of immorality. He was set outside the body of Christ. The working of the Spirit and Satan working on the flesh. The love of Jesus drew him back to the body of Christ. And the body of Christ now has to look at him as forgiven. Forgiven. What is his name? Nobody's business. Why? Anyone here committed sin? Anybody here want to stand up and list off all the sins you committed? That would cause some anguish, wouldn't it? So we need not add to this man's anguish. We just know we were in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven has affirmed us. And heaven changed the heart. That's how discipline works. Put them out. God will use Satan as a rod of chastening to destroy physically, even to death perhaps. But the Spirit will be delivered on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He'll appear with the redeemed. I like that. I mean, even if they go to the point of death, they still stand with the redeemed. Here's the tragedy. This church boasted. You know what? I know that this church does not boast on, on sin in this church. This church sometimes turns a blind eye. Know this, brothers and sisters. I'm not going to turn a blind eye. My heart, my passion, the thing that drives me is to present every man complete in Christ. Period. Some of you make that very difficult, but we won't go there. 
And we have in the past in this body of believers set them out. Set them out. And I've even contacted other churches and explained that the person that is attending your fellowship is under discipline from this fellowship. I even did that across the nation one time. They literally moved to the eastern seaboard. And I found out what church they were in. And I called their pastor. And I shared with them that they were disciplined in this church. I take it very seriously. Very, very seriously. But so should each and every saint in here. And the tragedy, I think, that exists today is most Christians, that's not a punishment. Most Christians, that's fine. I'll go somewhere else. I, and, and I know that if you want to find a church that is, is happy and joy, joy, and all the rest of it, uh, there's a bunch of them around. But that's not our church. And uh, as long as I am part of the leadership here, it will never be. We, under, we need to understand that there is a need for discipline. But we also understand now the method of discipline. May each of you stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you for your word. And Father, to know the things that you have shown us still is amazing to me. Father, may we be faithful. May we walk in a way that brings honor and glory to you. May we not do anything to shame you. Father, may we be so involved in one another's lives that we would even prevent that stumbling. Father, that we would never have to go as far as setting them outside of the church. Father, I pray that you lay on the hearts of the people what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. Father, what it means to be a part of something that has the full assurance and power and backing of heaven. And Father, that is still not something to be taken lightly. And yet, Father, it is something that is a gift that you've given to us. Father, I thank you for these precious people and what they mean to me and my wife and my family. Father, I thank you for their prayers on my behalf. And Father, I pray for every one of them. Lord, that the zeal of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, his passion, his power, will be seen in every one of them's heart. And that, Father, that their passion would be to present every man complete in Christ. And Father, your glory, your honor, and your exaltation would only grow brighter and brighter as the day draws near that our faith shall become sight. Lord, we love you. And may that love grow with every breath you grace us. Till that day our faith becomes sight. Father, let us stand in the grace that is in Christ. Father, this is Christ's will. Amen.